Today, we decided yesterday we would continue talking about Lord Balaram. And something came up yesterday about the uniqueness of Balaram's position because he's Krishna's older brother, but sometimes he acts like a servant, sometimes he acts like a guru. Sometimes he acts like a friend, and sometimes he's got the rasa of servitude, sometimes he's got the rasa of friendship, sometimes he's got this vatsalya rasa. And <clears throat> through his consort in Nagamanjari, he actually engages in he engages in Madhuri Rasa. Now, hmm, I'm looking for the document I was reading yesterday. And I'm, I'm in another, but anyway, so I'll, I will continue looking while I'm talking. And um, I think I know where I was. And so Balaram, sometimes he acts like he acts like Krishna's guru, and sometimes he acts like Krishna's friend, and sometimes he acts like Krishna's servant. Okay, I think I found the document. Okay, good. So. All right, now you can hear me better. So sometimes he acts as Krishna's guru because he's the older brother, and the older brother is like the guru, right? And at least in traditional families, the older brother is highly respected, like one's guru. Father is respected, like one's guru. So he was respected, like. Sometimes Krishna respected him like his guru. But sometimes Balaram became the servant, as we said yesterday, by providing everything for Krishna's Leela. And then sometimes friends. So you have all three things going on. Interesting, okay? And yesterday we asked Satyarupa to find out why Balaram was so close with Duryodhan, aside from their being relatives, was there another reason? Was there some obligation? Is there some reason that he liked him? I could not remember. Uh, I know there's, there's some reason I couldn't remember. So we're going to do a little kirtan, and we are going to... Yes. And then we'll begin, continue our discussion. Hare Krishna. Jairadha Madhava Kunjabi Hari Jairadha Madhava Kunjabi 
Okay, so Satya Rupa did her homework. Let's hear what she says. I found this. Srila Prabhupada writes, The reason they were silent was that Lord Balaram was somewhat affectionate toward Duryodhan, who had learned from Brahmaji, from Balaramji, who had learned from Balaramji the art of fighting with a club. Thus, when the fighting was going on, King King Unister and the others thought that Balaram might have come there to say something in favor of Duyodhan, and therefore they remained silent. So there was this connection. You were right, but you had it backwards. Balaram taught Duryodhan, correct? He had learned fighting, yeah. So, in addition, they were relatives. So, But as we suggested, everything plays out in the Leela perfectly. So, Balaram, as Nitananda also, is not, not um, straightforward in understanding. Yeah, Balaram does, and Nitananda also, especially Nitananda, does some things which are difficult to understand, which we... They consider funny or interesting, but still difficult to understand. So, okay. Um, but that's okay because he's a transcendental personality, so if he's difficult to understand, that's just normal. I mean, it should be, right? If he's easy to understand, then we might think, well, he's just like an ordinary person. You can understand people. Uh, it's not difficult to understand people. Okay, so we're gonna we're gonna begin. We're gonna continue reading. So we're reading, or Prabhupada was talking about this song, Nitai Padakamala Koti Chandra Shushitala, that the lotus feet of Lord Nitananda are like Koti Chandra Shushitala, the soothing rays of millions of moons, soothing the burning fire in our hearts of material existence, also soothing the burning fire of lust and greed and anger and so forth. Says, in a Bhakti Chur Swami class, he once said in regards to Balaram, Duryodhan, Balaram is hope for the hopeless. <laughs> he was showing mercy, in other words. Right? The WhatsApp message you sent yesterday, no, I didn't see it. Can you tell me what it is, or do I have to go to WhatsApp and look at it? Look for it. No, I didn't see 
any message after a certain time of the day, I turned it off. Went to the temple last night. Never looked back. Sometimes you just have to turn off your WhatsApp messages and come back to the real world. You want me to look, Kamania, or you want me you want to send it to me? I like it about Balaram that he has personality and he's not boring. He's just a character. Our God is a cool person, yeah. Nothing boring. Yeah, no, we won't post anything because, yeah. Maybe we'll post tomorrow. I didn't, I thought I would be a little spontaneous in picking what we're going to read. Some of, his, some of this is uh, redundant. It was just a collection of things Prabhupada said, but that, considering what was redundant or not. So I'm just picking and choosing. The source of spiritual strength is Balaram, Krishna's next manifestation, Prakash Vigraha. Krishna is manifesting himself through Balaram. So we have to take shelter of Nitananda Prabhu. Nitai Padakamala Koti Chandra Sushitala Yechayaya Jagat Jurai. The whole world is suffering. But if you want peace, then you take shelter of Nitananda Prabhu. So the the point here that the, the point here that Prabhupada's making is that Balaram is the same as Nitananda. Taking shelter of Nitananda is the same as taking shelter of Balaram and vice versa. So in Kali Yuga, our shelter is Gornitai. So when we're chanting Nitai, we're also chanting Balaram. Nitananda Ram. So that's the idea. So this is from the seventh canto, fifteenth chapter, text forty-five. This is from a purport. Hmm. Unless one has attained the stage of devotional service and the mercy of the spiritual master and Krishna, there is no. Uh, unless one has attained the stage of devotional service and the mercy of the spiritual master and Krishna. There is a possibility that one may fall down again, except in material body. Ah, it's time to wake up. One may fall down and again, except a material body. Therefore, Krishna stresses in the Bhagavad Gita. In other words, unless one has attained prema, you could fall down. Janmakarma chame divyam evam yobeti tattataha takta deha puna janma naiti mamiti swarjana. I decided this morning, while I probably made this decision while I was brushing my teeth or getting ready or just after, that there are certain shlokas for the Bhakti Shastri you should learn. And these are like basic bread and butter ABC shlokas, and I know a lot of devotees don't know them. This is one of them. That you should know by heart Sanskrit and English. So I decided this morning 
I'll make a recording. I'm not sure how I'll do it. Maybe I'll repeat each verse three times. Or maybe I'll just go through the whole set once. And then we'll do a translation. Then you can listen. You just put these on, listen to it. Maybe I'll make it a little musically pleasing. And so you'll, you'll listen again and again. And um, then... You will end up learning all these verses just by listening over and over because at least these basic verses you should all know. This was uh, during Prabhupada's time. As you know, Prabhupada quoted many verses when he gave class, and so we were learning lots of verses. You know, every year we'd learn almost every day a verse, hundreds of verses. So I'm surprised to learn now that many devotees don't even know the bread and butter verses. This is a bread and butter verse, Janma Karma Jamedivyam. And Krishna Karshani says, If we're spiritually weak, we have no Balaram mercy. Yeah, Balaram mercy, Guru mercy, Nityananda mercy. It, it, as, as we said yesterday, it means that we're, we're somewhat negligent in our we're somewhat negligent in our practice and therefore we're not getting the mercy. First Prabhupada said, you want the mercy, just go out and give the mercy. So we may be neglect, negligent in giving the mercy also. So the translation, one who knows the transcendental nature of my birth and activities does not upon leaving the body take its birth again in this material world, but attains my eternal abode, or Arjuna. Arjuna. The word tattvataha, meaning in reality, is very important. Tattomam tattvato gyatva. Unless one understands Krishna in truth, by the mercy of the spiritual master, one is not free to give up his material body. In other words, one is... If you give up your material body, you'll take another one. And you could also say one is in the bodily concept. Bodily concept. As it is said... So we'll do the shlokas in two stages. We'll do all the Bhakti Shastri shlokas. And then we'll do the other famous shlokas. This is another one, which Prabhupada quotes often. So if, if you have not memorized either of these shlokas, you're, you're going to like this recording. I do it. It'll help you. If one neglects to serve the lotus feet of Krishna, one cannot become free from the material clutches simply by knowledge. Even if one attains the stage of Brahma Padam, merging in Brahman, without bhakti he is prone to fall down. One must be very careful in regard to the danger of falling down again into material bondage. The only insurance is to come to the stage of bhakti from which one is sure not to fall. Then one is free from the activities of the material world. In summary, as stated by Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, one must get in touch with a bona fide spiritual master. Actually, it's the next part of the purport that I meant to read. Okay, so, and we had discussed this yesterday. Significant in this verse are the two words, Gyanasinam, excuse me, Gyanasim Achutabala. I don't know if I have the. No, I don't have the Sanskrit. So I don't know where the diacritics are, but it's probably Gyanasim Achutta Balaha. Gyanasim, the sword of knowledge, is given by Krishna. And when one serves the Guru and Krishna, 
in order to hold the sword of Krishna's instructions, Balaram gives one strength. So he had, we had discussed this yesterday. This, in, in the Vedic paradigm, there's three stages of learning. First you hear, you get the knowledge in your head. Then you assimilate it. And how do you know you've assimilated knowledge? If you hear and then you can explain it to someone, you've assimilated it. It's sometimes you think you understand something, then you're asked to explain it, and then when you explain it, sometimes you realize you didn't understand everything. So, okay, I heard it. I'm assimilating. Okay, I think I understand this, 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 this. this. You've got to assimilate it. And then the third stage is put it into practice. It's kind of like the ripening of a fruit. And so... What I've often said, and this is so interesting, once you assimilate it, often you think you're actually practicing it because it's sometimes difficult to distinguish assimilation from practice because if in my head I understand it, because I understand it, I think, okay, I got it, I understand it, therefore it's logical that I'll do it. And we told that story last week about the disciple when the guru said, be careful, and the disciple said, I have nothing to worry about because I've heard from you, I understand everything. And I have my practice. And the guru said, be careful, because the guru meant just understanding is not enough. And so this, this disciple was, was in that assimilation mode. I've understood everything. And he equated understanding with practice. Like, I'm, I'm doing it, I understand it. And, he, you know, when it push comes to shove, uh, he became attracted to this woman, and, and then we could say, well, actually, he didn't really understand it. So assimilation, seem, it seems to be like you understand it. You understand it in theory. But if you want to extend the definition of understanding to if you understand something, you do it. Just like, you know, your guru may say something. He wants you to do something and say, do you understand it? And he may ask, do you understand it? Because the last time he explained it to you, you didn't do it properly. So do you understand now what to do? So the ultimate sense of understanding would be you act. You know how to act. So so you you get the information in your head, then you assimilate it, now it's clear, and then the third stage is you put it in practice. And so that's that's the stage which is the most difficult. And that is sometimes little difficult to understand, as I said, because I've assimilated it, and I think, oh, I, I know it, I, I understand it, it's really clear. So that intellectual realization sometimes is mistaken as I'm practicing it. And sometimes, we've discussed this before, and this is just the nature of the mind, we may not be practicing it, and we don't know we're not practicing it because we've assimilated it, and we've taken that assimilation to mean that I understand it, and therefore I am doing it. Because if I understand it, it's like the psychologist, if I, if I clearly understand it, I must be doing it. And it's so interesting that, that often we're not doing it and we're not aware we're not doing it because we've assimilated it. So having said this, you can kind of test this out in your life. If you're married, you can ask your spouse, do I do this? Do I act this way? Because you may think you do, and your spouse may say, well, sometimes you do, sometimes you don't, and you may not be aware of it. Or you can just look at your life a little bit and analyze, do, do everything I realize, do I actually do it? Some things are obvious to us that we don't do it. 
some things are not obvious and it's, it's just interesting and it's it's really important to understand this because if I'm not doing something and I think I am how am I going to start doing it if I don't think I have to do it because I think I already am and I'm not so so what I was referring to yesterday was this purport and in this purport Prabhupada saying Krishna is giving the knowledge the knowledge is a sword that example is given in the Gita the sword of knowledge and it's also in the Bhagavatam cut the the knowledge cuts the attachments, cuts the knot in the heart. Okay, your attachment is cut by this knowledge. You're not the body, you're servant of Krishna. And then Balaram gives one strength because you have the knowledge, you have to be able to hold it and the holding here would be acting on it. So, by, so the Guru gives knowledge. By serving him, we get his mercy. And by that mercy, we can apply the knowledge. That's why in the Gita, it's inter this interesting thing. How how do you deal with a guru? First, you surrender, which means become humble. Tadbidi pranipatena. Pranipatena means go down on the ground. So that means humility. So that means I'm going to come blank slate, not thinking I'll tell my guru a few things. He doesn't know everything, but I'll come to learn. I'm a fool at the feet of my guru, and then prashna. I inquire. So now I'm humble. I can, I'm qualified now to inquire because I'll listen because I don't think I'm smarter than my guru. I just did a video yesterday and it's going to be, it's called, Do You Think You're Smarter Than Your Guru? And it's all about overintelligence. I think we had talked about that yesterday or day before. Overintelligence thinking, you know, the guru wants water, you bring him milk. You're so smart. You figured out how to serve him better. So, first there's humility. I'm not so smart. If I were so smart, I wouldn't have a material body. So that's the humility. That's, that's where it starts. Yeah, you're so smart. How come you've incarnated for a million lifetimes? Not so smart. If you were so smart, you wouldn't be here. And so humility, and then inquiry. And then the last thing is sevaya, tadbidi pranipatena pariprashnena sevaya. Fall down, humility. Now you can, now you, once you fall down and you think you're full, now you're qualified to ask questions because you can actually hear. And then by serving the guru, what happens? Then you can get the mercy of the guru and so you can activate that knowledge. So that knowledge becomes your lifestyle. That's, that's what it means to be activated. The knowledge becomes your lifestyle. Otherwise, I know. I know what I should do, but it's not my lifestyle. And I, I believe one of, the, one of the liabilities of becoming a devotee and one of the most painful aspects of being a devotee is that you get knowledge so you know what to do. Why is that a liability? It's a liability if you don't do it, because then you have to carry the burden of knowing that I should do this and not doing it. And really, when you think about it, the burden of not doing what you know you should do is heavier than the burden of doing it. And a lot of times we don't do it because we think it's a burden. It'll be difficult, uncomfortable, I'm afraid. It's too. It's just painful to do it. But... If, if you actually analyze it and you're honest, 
it's more painful not to do it because then you, you have to carry the pain. And sometimes the pain is subconscious. The pain of knowing I should do something, I don't do it. There's a subconscious pain if you're, if you're like, if you have a dysfunctional relationship with yourself and you like to lie to yourself how everything's okay when it isn't, then maybe you won't feel that pain so acutely, but it's there. And if you're a little more honest with yourself, you will just admit that I should be doing this and I'm not, and it's painful to not follow that instruction, much more painful than the so-called comfort I'm getting by not following it. So that's a nice meditation. Okay, do we have... Uh, I have some comments, so I will stop and look at your comments. Bhaktivedya Purana Swami said, knowledge is application. So, so that's the third stage of knowledge, and that's the stage by which you can say, I actually know. And before that, you could say, um, I understand it, I... I've heard about it, but in the full sense of understanding, you can't. You could only say, "I've understood it in theory." And when you, when you apply it, then you can say, "Okay, now I know." There was actually a teacher. I'm going back up. Um, there was a teacher who explained it this way. It was. It was, it was actually. It was actually when I did a training to do seminars, he told us you should, to get people to learn, you should tell them that don't think that what I'm teaching you know, because if you know it, you'd be doing it. You might know about it, you might have heard it, you might be familiar, these were his exact words, you might be familiar with it, you might have read books on it, but unless you're doing it, you don't know it. And I really like that, because that's... That's important for students to understand, you know, because, you know, yeah, 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 I've heard all this before. This, this, was, um, this was a workshop on money. Me, of all people, ended up in a workshop on money because I'm not so interested in money, but it was much more about money. But he was just giving an example in the context of money. He said, yeah, I've been, all, I've been to all the money workshops and the investment and make a mil- become a millionaire. I bet, yeah, I know all this stuff. And the person's broke. Okay, he knows it all and he's broke. So it means he knows about it, but he never applied it. So don't be broke spiritually and know. Yeah, I know Prabhupada said that. Okay, you know, but are you doing it? Otherwise, you're broke spiritually. Yeah, 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 I know that, but, you know. Sometimes you hear devotees say, yeah, yeah, I know that, but I'm still attached to this, I'm still attached to that. Okay, you, you know, your bank account. Your spiritual bank account is not as rich as your information in your head. You know, I know I'm not as rich as how of what of what I know how to be rich. That's the point. Okay. Yeah. So I'm gonna go and check your questions and comments. If we are still into sense enjoyment. Oh no, sense enjoyment, it's the worst thing. I'm just do you ever see that? That Comedy by Yadurna. Uh, they had a support group for sense enjoyers. They, it was like a 12-step program. They say, my name is so-and-so, and I'm a sense enjoyer. And it's like, my name is so-and-so, and I'm an alcoholic. I'm a sense enjoyer. I can't give it up. 
Uh, it was quite funny. But trying to be a devotee, will our progress be much slower than one who surrenders and what makes some devotees surrender almost immediately? And for others, it takes many years. Well, this is an interesting question. It's multi Your question is actually multifaceted. The answer is to your first part, uh, if I'm into sense gratification, well, it depends what kind. Heroin? Pornography? Um, heavy metal? Death metal? Satanic metal? You know, or, or what's the sense gratification you're into? You, you like mangoes and you like Beethoven and sometimes you listen to Beethoven instead of Kirtan and Sometimes you watch a you know a documentary instead of a Christian Lila. So, you know. So it depends. And if if we're too much into things that don't help help our Krishna consciousness, then one question we should ask ourselves is like, what's missing in my life? What needs am I trying to fulfill through this kind of sense gratification? Is my Am I not doing enough sadhana that I'm getting enough satisfaction from my sadhana that I need these things? No, so some sense gratification will always be there because we're conditioned souls, right? So you may want to get married, have, have a, a nice home, family like that. But the point is that we should, we should have only have the kind of sense gratification that can be Krishnaized sense gratification, if that's... I don't think anyone's ever said that before. Maybe I could be fired from my job as a guru for saying Krishnized sense gratification, big sensational headlines. Mahatma Prabhu said, Mahatma Das says you can Krishnize sense gratification. Well, actually, it's true because Prabhupada used to say, well, if you want to have sex, get married. Of course, then Prabhupada said, but only once in a month after 50 rounds for having children. So that's not kind of like if you want to have sex, get married. And if your wife gets pregnant the first time and you only want two children and you're potent, then in your whole marriage you may only have sex twice. So I'm probably saying if you want to have sex, get married, and I'm only going to have sex twice. So then I'm thinking, twice or brahmachari? Twice or brahmachari? If it's only twice, you know, brahmachari may be better. And then Prabhupada said, yeah, that's the point, you know. Maybe it is better. But, but Prabhupada's point was, you want sense gratification? Okay, get married. Have a wife, have children, have sex for having children. So the point was, what sense gratification can you use in Krishna service? You like to eat? Okay. Offer to Krishna, then eat it. Okay, dovetail. You like music? Okay. Play music for Krishna. You, you know. So that's the idea. But if it's just pure out-and-out -out sense gratification especially very tamasic and it can't be used in Krishna service. Yeah, of course it's going to affect you. And, and the question you're asking why, well, it's a vicious cycle or a vicious circle. It means the same thing. So if I'm tamasic, I'm attracted to tamasic things. If I engage in tamasic activities, it impels me to do them again, so it becomes this vicious cycle. So what came first, the tamagoon or the tama activity? There's a lot of tamasic activity going around us in our society, and that will 
if we engage in it, it will keep us in the mode of ignorance. And then when in the mode of ignorance, sense gratification becomes more attractive. When you're in Satwagun, it's less attractive. You're more satisfied. Or it's more refined. Maybe we should talk about refined sense gratification in relation to Krishna. Because, as Prabhupada said, you have a body, you have to satisfy your senses. So the answer to your question, the first part is, we have to learn to satisfy our senses in a way that it doesn't take us away from Krishna. But at least it keeps us neutral or it brings us closer, like taking prasadam. Then, uh, slow down. And then your second part. What makes some devotees surrender almost immediately and for others takes many years? They're, they're, it could be the devotee was already more advanced. Could be the devotee is more burned out than you. Could be the devotee that his intelligence, his spiritual intelligence is more clear than yours is at this particular point. Uh, spiritual life is more important to him. Now, normally we would say, well, that's probably all because of their past life. And that may be true to one degree or another. And Prabhupada did mention, obviously, you take up where you left off, and if you see someone very spiritually advanced, it indicates obviously they were spiritually advanced in their past, just like uh, in all the discussions of Bhakti Chodoswami, say that very quickly he became initiated, then second, and then sannyas, and his Prabhupada's servant, and it was like he was fast-tracked. But it was already from a past life. But having said that, if you look at the preponderance of Prabhupada's instructions on spiritual advancement, he, he never really says, well, I have bad news for you. You know, if you weren't very advanced in your last life, then, you know, probably you're going to have a really hard time and you're probably going to be falling down all the time and you're probably going to be like addicted to chocolate and, you know, sleeping nine hours a night and, you know, just kind of like, just do your best and maybe you'll do better in your next life. Never said that. And I know a lot of devotees feel like that, but he never said that. And we shouldn't feel what Prabhupada didn't say. What Prabhupada said is take Krishna consciousness up seriously. And you can do that right now. So, Charlene, what I would answer, I think the best answer, the conclusion is be serious about Krishna, be as serious about Krishna consciousness as you possibly can, and you will make advancement. And you will find you'll become more detached. How to become serious? Read, Spend more time reading Prabhupada's books. It will make you serious. It will clear your intelligence. Um, put more energy into focusing on your japa. When you're chanting, just be present, just a japa, and really put your heart into it and really pray. If you do that and then get good association, uh, whether it's personal or digital, you'll see there's going to be a difference, which proves that no matter what my past was, if I make the effort now, then it's going to make a difference. Then you might say, well, is my effort now because of my past? We could say yes, but at the same time, it's no guarantee that you'll make your past will cause you to make a, 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 a present moment deci right decision. So Prabhupada focused on whatever your past was, make the right decision. And, and in analyzing this topic, up and down, left and right, over and over again, that's the thing that makes the most sense. Like, what I don't know what my past was. I don't know how advanced I was. I don't know, was I a sannyasi? And 
I felt, you know, was is every woman in Iskana, was she a sannyasi and she fell down with a woman and became a woman? You know, was every man like a chaste, a chaste wife to an advanced devotee and she died thinking of her husband and he became a man? I mean, you know, we don't know these things. Were we in the Gaudiya Math? You know, were we disciples of Bhakti Siddhanta? Like, You know, and and, and if, if some astrologer said you were a disciple of Bhakti Siddhanta, you might think, oh, well, I can just, you know, I'm, I'm a very advanced devotee. I can just take it easy, you know. It's downhill from here. So the, what Prabhupada wanted from us was just do it now. Whatever it was in the past, you don't know. But but understand and do it. That's, that was Prabhupada's mood. Here's my books. Here's my lectures. Understand what I'm telling you and do it. Don't worry about the past. That's the best answer because that's Prabhupada's answer. Okay, Ankush. Knowledge also brings the mode of ignorance. What are the steps to get Lord Balaram's mercy to advance Krishna consciousness? Well, ignorant knowledge brings the mode of ignorance. <coughs> To get Balaram's mercy because he represents Guru is to please Guru and first starting with pleasing Prabhupada. Ankush, if you please Prabhupada, you'll get you will get Lord Balaram's mercy and Itananda's mercy. How do you please Prabhupada? <clears throat> Chant good rounds, follow the principles, help others become Krishna conscious, do service in your temple, follow the practices. You know, it's it's not like some big secret, you know. Okay, tonight at 6 o'clock, we're going to have a secret meeting, how to get the mercy. It's never revealed before, the top 10 secrets of how to get Balaram's mercy. It's never like that in Krishna consciousness. It's like it's always, it's always being revealed. And as Prabhupada said, because it's always being revealed and it's so simple, we miss it. We think, oh, how to get Balaram's mercy? Stand on your head for six days and, and don't eat. No, it's not like that. It's the same thing. Just keep doing the same thing. Improve your rounds. Increase your hearing. Get better association. Do service. And help other people become Krishna conscious. Because that's what Prabhupada wants the most. You help ISKCON, that's helping. If you can help directly, that's even better. Why we think we realize something that we understood something, but after some time we again come back to the stage of not understanding what we show with wrong behavior. Are we doing it out of deeply ingrained bad habits or we are just losing mercy and that's why we have no access to realization? It, it could be that because... We understand one of the aspects of Maya is to cover. Avaratmika. Avaratmika. She covers. So covers means you forget. Like you had a realization, you were engaged, and then you lose, you lose the realization that was empowering you to engage. And then you get the realization like Maya is more attractive than Krishna. You get, you know, it's not like you lose realization, you just get a new realization. That, I don't want to do this. I want, I want to enjoy my late. What's your latest realization, Prabhu? I want to enjoy Maya. That's my latest realization. So, so that will come with shifting of the modes of nature. 
So if you're purely in, in sattva, or if there is such a thing as pure sattva, if you're purely in Vishuddha sattva, you're very transcendental, you're engaged, you're in Mayapur, you're in Vrindavan, everything is fantastical. You're not really dealing with these lower modes of nature. Then you come back to your country, sit in lockdown, look at your, you know, you're living alone with all your, you and your mind, and it becomes like a nightmare. You can forget. So that that's one part of what you're asking. Well, let, let's elaborate on that. Mercy, mercy is an active thing. It's like if you want to be healthy, you have to exercise, like all the time. You can't stop. You can't. You just can't. St- you know, exercise for like, I'm going to exercise for three days and then take a break for three months. So, you know, mercy is something that you get every day, like eating, we need it. So if I stop doing the things that give mercy, then obviously I stop getting the mercy. And if I don't get the mercy, I may lose my realization, I may lose my strength to do what I was doing before. You know, was there a time you were doing something you're not doing now? Was there a time when you had a realization very strongly about something in Krishna consciousness? You don't have it now? Yeah, there was. That is proof. Okay, I'm going to put on my radio voice just for you. That is proof of the existence of the modes of nature. Yeah. Now, the other answer which would be interesting to you, Krishna Koshini, and you may have heard me speak about this, is a phenomenon which psychologists call cognitive dissonance. And you can look that up, any of you who are interested, what it means, cognitive dissonance. It means, dissonance means like, you know, two notes that don't go together. That is cognitive dissonance. Go to as opposed to. Cognitive dissonance. That's what dissonance means. It's that things aren't lined up right. So this is a phenomenon psychologists have studied that a person thinks they're doing something and they're not doing it. And the reason they think they're doing it is because they believe they have an identity of a person who does those things. This is really interesting. If you're interested in psychology, I find psychology so interesting because, you know, yoga, the whole yoga practice process is about the mind, controlling the mind. So, you know, some people say, what about psychology? And I say, well, if you understand your mind and how it works, you're at a big advantage to become Krishna conscious. So this is one way the mind works. It's so interesting. And it's so good to know this because you can catch yourself. If my identity is that I am like something, I am a good, let's say, my my identity is I am a good person, I am a good father, I am a good husband, I'm a good wife, I'm a good mother then if you do something which is not indicative of a good father, a good mother, a good wife, a good husband, you don't notice it because it's contradictory to your identity. 
And because it's contradictory, psychologically, this, you know, this realm of dishonesty, you know, we had our whole retreat about your relationship with yourself, how we lie to ourselves. So this whole realm of dishonesty with ourselves kicks in. And because I think I'm a certain way, I can't see when I don't act that way. I Everything is interpret, interpreted. I was going to say interpreted, which I don't think is a word. Everything is interpreted as I am just acting according to my self-conception. So if you think you're a good devotee, if you think you're an advanced devotee, it could be dangerous for, for a number of reasons, pride, obviously, but what we're talking about now, it could be dangerous because you may not notice when you don't do something well. You think, I'm a nice person. You don't notice when you do something that's not nice. I'm a good manager. And then you don't notice when you mismanage. You might think, well, it should be obvious if you mismanage. It should be obvious that you're not nice. And sometimes it is, but sometimes it's not. And you, Krishna Krishna, you remember I told this story about a girl who was, she was totally into ecology, so much so that when she only would shop where she could buy bulk and she would bring her own ecologically friendly packages, you know, no plastic, nothing that's not biodegradable, nothing that would contaminate the earth in the, the process of making it. And one day she looked in her refrigerator and she found she had a lot of plastic in it. And she didn't actually realize that she had bought those things and put them in there. She, she had a rationale. So I had discussed this with one devotee who's a psychologist. And what she said, which is so interesting, is that when you have this cognitive dissonance, if you act against your own belief and you're conscious of it, you have a reason you're doing it. Well, the reason I did the plastic is because I was late and I had no choice and I was hungry. All right, whatever. It may be good reason. But she did it. She put it in the fridge and then she continued. And the way the story goes is she didn't realize she had plastic in her refrigerator. She would open it, but she never saw it because she, her her normal mood was I would never buy plastic. So maybe... Due to circumstances, she had to buy it. So she was thinking, I never buy plastic. And so when she, this is amazing, and this is kind of like the essence of what we're saying, she was looking at the plastic in her refrigerator, but she didn't see it. She only saw that I'm eco-friendly, that I only use eco-friendly packaging. So when she was looking at packaging that was not eco-friendly, she didn't see it. The second scenario would be that she sees it but she has a reason, well, I was late. So she's acting out of integrity with what she believes, but she has an excuse for it. So those are the, the two aspects, the, the, the pure cognitive dissonance and the other one which gives an excuse, a, excuse for it. And we did this exercise in the forgiveness workshop where you, you, you look at what you believe and then you look at what you do and then you compare the two and then you realize, well, not everything you think you believe, you actually believe, you actually do. You don't. And if you, if you just think about your life and think all the things you believe and then compare them to all the things you'll do, you'll see there's a difference. And in pure devotional service, there won't be a difference. 
one of the things George Harrison said about Prabhupada, and many, many devotees said this about Prabhupada, which which endeared so many people to Prabhupada, and which is like a little secret or a hint to how to be a successful preacher. They said, whenever I was with Prabhupada, he was the same. That was one thing. It wasn't like you meet Prabhupada and, and you know, one moment, you know, he's he's out of character and another moment he's in character. He said, no, he's always the same. The other thing is he he was exemplifying what was in his books. You, you wouldn't see a contradiction between what he taught in his books and who he was. And that means who he was and who he acted was the same. So that's what we want to come to. When we come to that point, our preaching will take off to another level because that will build so much faith in people. They'll say, oh, Krishna Karshini, you know, it's amazing. Whatever you teach, I can see in your life you live that. And that gives me so much faith. And that's what we want to come to. And you know, if you teach something, you don't live it, it's almost better you don't teach it because when people see that, they'll lose faith in Krishna consciousness. Oh, you were just telling me that we should be this way and that way, and then a day later, you acted exactly in the opposite way. So, we're we're trying to help people cultivate faith, and we don't want to do things which would cause them to lose faith, isn't it? And that's that's a a great way to cause people to lose faith in Krishna is for you to say something and don't do it, or worse, do the exact opposite. And people see that and just I'm finished with this movement. Even the senior devotees can't even follow it. It's, there must be no potency in this movement. You know, you know what I'm saying? So, um, when I understood this principle of cognitive dissonance, it, it was really, really helped me a lot because I, I was just, and I think we did this in the workshop also, to try to help you, help you to see when you're out of alignment because if you can catch it, you go, like, oh, I didn't realize I was doing this. Now I've caught it. Uh-huh. Okay, this is good. Now I now I know I need to work on this. Because before I caught it, I just thought I was okay. I actually thought I was perfect. That's the other problem. It can lead to arrogance. And then the opposite the opposite end of that dissonance is I'm overly aware of my faults and I don't see when I'm good. That's, you know, like, turn it on its head and you get this extreme low self-esteem where your cognitive dissonance is turned on its head. So you're only aware of the bad, you're not aware of the good. That's that's sad, that's unfortunate. And anyone in that situation, uh, I recommend you would do well to, to work on that because that... Um, will be a great impediment for you on many levels of your life, including your Krishna consciousness. Knowledge becomes your lifestyle. Yeah, that, that's the goal. If someone asked me what's the goal of Krishna consciousness, I would say to make Prabhupada's teachings your lifestyle. To make, and I've often said this before, Krishna, that you invite your friend over to your house, she stays with you. And you don't say anything about Krishna consciousness, but by living with you, she understands what Krishna consciousness is by seeing you. 
Now, or would somebody understand what Krishna consciousness is by living with you if you didn't tell them? Well, they say, oh, he gets up early, he's always reading, studying. You know, would they, well, obviously they couldn't understand everything, but would they, or, or seeing your conversations or listening, you know, they listen to the classes, you know, just by being around you without having to say anything, how much would they know or, or what would they understand about you? I used to my, I grew up in LA and, I, and the last time I lived in LA was in 1995 and my sister she liked the Maha Prasadam they used to sell I don't know if they still do it they had a place they would make extra Maha and then they would sell it and they had a little room you could come in and it was kind of like the secret of the neighborhood you know a lot of neighborhood people who, maybe not that interested in Christian consciousness would come and then devotees would come and my sister's very intelligent, very perceptive, so she would come. She didn't live far, maybe maybe 10 minutes, 12 minutes, 15 minutes from the temple. That temple is more or less in the neighborhood I grew up in, close, close to that neighborhood, not far, 5, 10 minutes from there. And she would always ask, is he a devotee? Because he'd be doing something that a devotee doesn't do. You know, and she'd say, why is he doing doing that? Because, see, she she understands Krishna consciousness through me. You know, she's never seen me drink coffee, obviously never smoke a cigarette, take alcohol, all, you know, chant my rounds every day, always up early. Because I, you know, every year I spend time with her. So she sees that and she says, is he a devotee? Why is he doing that? You don't do that. And so she observes it, and it's like it's like confusing. And she's not even practicing Krishna consciousness. So if she's noticing it, obviously people who are beginning to practice it are going to notice it. So, you know, we could say, well, you know, I am who I am, and I have to be real to myself, and so on and so forth. And I understand that. But I'm just making the point that it, if you're, if you're too real... And you're still true to your material self, it can cause some problem for younger people who are looking at you. Maybe you can explain, well, I'm not so advanced and this is real for me, etc., etc. That's okay. You can explain that. But just understand that as you advance, they look up to you and they they want to see. And they need to see this, that you're aligning with Prabhupada's instructions. And aside from that, just for our own self, how you'd monitor your advancement is how you're aligned. Your life, does your lifestyle match Prabhupada's books? Do I see Prabhupada's teachings in your lifestyle? So that's a question for yourself to ask. Oh, Charlene's weakness is TV. Okay, so just watch something more Krishna conscious. Or if, you, if you're if you attracted to movies or whatever, watch something that would inspire you. Um, I don't watch movies, but you get, you know, when I'm on the airplane, I get to see movies because everyone's watching movies. So occasionally I'm, you know, I'm there doing, minding my own business and there's some movie. I'm like, what's that movie? That looks interesting. And I'll watch a little bit of it, or there'll be some documentary. But uh, like it's this doc, you know, I'll find a documentary that 
would help me understand something like about society, where society's going, because that would help my preaching or some documentary about an author or a teacher or a speaker, because that's what I do. Why is he popular? What's he saying? Things like that. So if you can do that. So otherwise, Charlene, I can tell you a story. There's a doctor in America. He's a naturopath. He's a funny guy. His name is Dr. Schultz. You could look him up. S-C-H-U-L-T-Z, I think. He's total naturopathic. He's like a kind of like an ex-hippie, you know. His so. So he said, "If you want to be my patient, you have to get a juicer, because you're going to take a lot of juice, and you have to refrain from watching the news and watching television because it's really bad for you." And then he said, "And if you don't have money for a juicer, sell your TV, because." So, Charlene, one way of looking at the TV, the computer, and we notice this especially in Mayapur, we have this serene environment in our life, and then we're inviting all these other people into our house who normally we wouldn't invite over. It's interesting. So you're in Mayapur, it's a completely pure environment, and then people are on the internet bringing in the whole material world. It's a contradiction. So you're trying to become Krishna conscious, at the same time, if you're inviting the material world in, it's like, okay, I'm throwing dirt on myself. But I just took a bath, so why should I throw dirt on myself? So actually, in the name of enjoyment, you don't want to make it more difficult on yourself to be Krishna conscious. And sometimes that's what happens. You know, it's a paradox. And if you think of it that way, it'll help you. So if you're really addicted to TV, again, what need are you trying to fulfill? Why are you bored? Is it because you like knowledge? You want to be entertained? Bhagavatam is amazingly entertaining. There's entertaining speakers online who are speaking about Krishna. You know, what is it? But the point is, you're trying to advance in Krishna consciousness, so you don't want to you don't want to counteract it. You know, it's like, I just had a salad with fresh olive oil, fresh this, fresh that. I put some wheat germ on it, had some flax seeds on it, you know, super healthy. And then I finish it off with a, you know, a pint of ice cream. It's like... Better just eat a normal meal and forget the ice cream. You'd be better off. So it's something like that, if that makes sense. So, again and again says, my Mahaguru left this world in 2015. Then after that I just pray to him. But I do not have Guru in physical presence. In this regard, can I find and surrender to another Guru? Uh, can I find and surrender to another guru in my life? If yes, how can I choose another guru? And also, shall I apologize to my own guru for having another? No. Um, you're talking about you were initiated, or you're talking about the six year guru? If you're talking about initiated, you can have many, many gurus. They're called Siksha gurus. Siksha means instruction. And that will help you immensely. And if you weren't initiated and he was your Siksha guru, then um, 
definitely you can take initiation at some point. The, the point is, and the, the mistake that I've seen many devotees make is that, let's use, let's use both these scenarios. So, so this person was my guru and I surrendered, but I never took initiation. Then I take initiation, and then you know we think the Diksha Guru is the most important, which it's not, which he's not necessarily, obviously important, but not. But you may have a Siksha Guru that becomes more important in your life. So then, but let's say I take shelter of another Guru. It's not that my this other Guru who left in 2015. Okay. We're just going to like put him in the closet and that was just a memory. No, he may be the most important guru. And you may take diksha from another guru and that your first guru becomes the most important. Or vice versa, you were initiated by that guru, you take shelter of a siksha guru, he may someday become more important because it's more active. You have more time with him. There's a problem in your question though. That your most important guru is Prabhupada and that's where you should be finding your shelter. So your guru physically left, you have Prabhupada's shelter. And how do you know who your guru is? The guru who helps you come closer to Prabhupada, the guru who inspires you to understand and surrender to Prabhupada, that's the person you want to find as your guru. You don't want to find someone as a guru who, like, you can't find much of Prabhupada around him and you don't feel like you're coming closer to Prabhupada. You only feel like you're coming closer to this guru, but not Prabhupada. That's not what we want, it's not what Prabhupada wants. We are all representing Prabhupada and um, if your guru was in another organization, the organization of ISKCON is all about Prabhupada and all the gurus are helping their disciples come closer to Prabhupada. And so that's our first connection. And I know many devotees don't understand this and that's unfortunate. But our first connection is with Prabhupada and our last connection is with Prabhupada and our middle connection we're always connected, and our gurus are connecting us with Prabhupada. And some people say, ah, oh, the gurus and Iskan, they're not Mahabhagwats. Well, Prabhupada is. He's the Mahabhagwat of Mahabhagwats. So what's the problem if your guru is not a Mahabhagavat and he connects you with the Mahabhagavat? Is there a problem? You know, I'm holding on to the to the power source, you hold on to me, you get electrocuted also with the same charge. Or maybe even a stronger charge. You know, I I think, you know, you might say, I was a Prabhupada disciple, I had access to Prabhupada directly. Yeah, that's true. But how much did I understand Prabhupada? If, if I just join now and I have a guru who's been a devotee for 50 years, I can tell you for sure I would understand Prabhupada more clearly than I understood him on my own, even being with him and seeing him as a young devotee. So it's it's not like, oh, I don't have a direct connection with Prabhupada. Yeah, well, your guru is like the glasses. Now you can put them on and see Prabhupada more clearly. So we need to understand all these things. It's important because a lot of people don't understand this. And, you know, if we don't understand this, we have a movement of individual movements with disciples around their guru, and they're all like individual movements, not one big family. So, of course, we have, you know, God brothers, God sisters, but it's meant to be in the context of a greater family, and it's not, you know. Someone sent me a, a cartoon and said, you know, my, my guru can kick your guru's lotus butt. You know, it was like pretty kind of obscene, but he really wanted to make a point. Like, disciples arguing over who's, yeah, but my guru could, you know, shloka you 
right out of the universe. Oh, yeah, but my guru could rasik you out of the universe. And, you know, my guru could book distribution, sankirtan you out of the universe. You know, like all this, like, you know, we don't want that. <laughs> now you're all saying, send me that cartoon. No, it's kind of vulgar. I won't send it. Uh, hot potato topic. Yeah, as soon as you say sex, everybody wakes up. Oh, I just woke you up. Yeah. Now we're going to talk about sex. Oh, oh. <laughs> oh Krishna. Uh, we have a question in Spanish, or maybe it's not a question. Padaram todas las glorias a Srila Prabhupada con esta la forma más eficiente de poder control. Christe is going to help me out. I'm just going to go to the next, and Christe is going to write that in English. And John is back. Oh, yeah, John, we have to talk. Huh, I spaced out on that. How about today, John? What time today? I have a meeting that starts at 10 and ends at 12. Maybe after that we can talk. Shamanandini, what can we do when we wish to get good association and are not able to because of so many factors, such as not being able to travel, especially nowadays? We may, we may not be situated with what we have what we have now, yeah. Well, I think the best answer for this is in whatever situation you're in, just do what you can, make the best use of it. And now obviously it's digital association. But even telephone, you have a friend, uh, sometimes devotees have conference, calls and they chant japa together. We're doing every um, every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday now at 12 o'clock Eastern Standard Time. 12 o'clock is two hours and 50 minutes from now. Every Monday, Wednesday, Friday, we're doing japa. So we've been doing this for a few weeks. And it's nice because for the last three, four months, I've just been chanting japa by myself. Sometimes with my wife, sometimes with my daughter, but usually by myself. And so it's nice, there are 15, 20 devotees there, we're all chanting together. So it's nice, and although we're not physically together, it's still close. It's close to that. So you just have to, it's like every situation, you have to take advantage of whatever you can. So Charlene is giving away her t TV, is that right? Is that what thank you so much means? She's giving away her TV, if you need a TV, call her up. Charlene, where do you live? I should know that, right? But I don't. Krishna Karshani says, I noticed that in most cases, too quick surrender might be dangerous. <clears throat> Those who are taking Krishna consciousness too quickly, they're leaving very quickly. Yeah, what's that same? Easy accept, easily accepted, easily given up. I'm not saying it's 100% the cases. My point is, that I believe that it's safe to go into Krishna consciousness slowly using common sense. Yeah. 
The problem is if you don't have senior guidance, sometimes when you're going too fast, which she means that you're going, you're going at a pace you can't maintain, you don't know that because you're just young and you think, I can do this my whole life. And that's why senior guidance and counselors and mentors are important. One, one of the things we're going to find out more and more is that every devotee needs a mentor, needs a coach, needs someone who has objectivity on them, who can give them feedback. And I found out years ago that even the coaches have coaches, even the motivational speakers have coaches, because there's a certain level of objectivity that another person has that we can never have about ourselves. It's just a fact. It's just a reality. So this problem, Krishna Karshani, wouldn't happen if that devotee had a good mentor who would be guiding them, who could say, slow down. Now, I get so many letters, it's so sad. South Africa, okay. I get so many letters. South Africa. South Africa, was. I was in Johannesburg preaching in 1981. It was one of my favorite places the people were so nice and well-educated. and I loved it. If the certain problems happened in Iskand and I left, probably still be there today if that hadn't happened. So, mentoring, coaching, all of you should have a mentor or a buddy or a friend. We just published a... I didn't publish. We put up a paper written by Kura Prabhu on... Devotee, I forget what it was called. You, you help, how you help coach one another. And we put it up on Facebook and on my website. And there's recommendations or examples how just two people can coach one another and help one another. So that's how we can avoid this problem. Otherwise, as I was saying, I get so many letters of devotees who are really discouraged or unhappy because they find they're not doing as well in Krishna consciousness as they would like. And what the problem is, they have ideals based on the highest levels of bhakti, because of course you read them in Prabhupada's books that we should be on this level. But the ideals are impractical because they can't be on that level. So they're, But they don't know that, and so they're feeling bad that I'm not on that level. And they're trying to be on that level, but they don't have the qualification for it, they don't have the detachment. And you know they don't realize that that level will come through the process. It's, can't, it's not like you can just force yourself, you know. I'm going to crash into Baikunta. I'm going to crash the wall down and just get in. No, it doesn't happen that way. You have to be invited. So it's kind of like thinking I'm going to crash the wall down instead of being qualified to be invited and I'm just going to do it. And they get really discouraged. And it can, it can be really, really bad for them. And a lot of people like that have a perfectionist mentality and they just apply it in Krishna consciousness and it comes a huge problem for them. All you perfectionists out there, I feel really sorry for you, especially after becoming a devotee. You must be going completely crazy right now because you have like 10,000 things to work on to be perfect at that you never will be perfect at or you might be when, you're, when you reach prema, but that's a ways away. So that's the problem that I see. So, 
Priyavada. Oh, Priyavada made an amazing poster. We're going to post it today. You and I, we were talking about the the best deal in town. She made a poster, you know. Krishna consciousness available here. Price, 16 rounds, four principles, you know. See details below. And this is like a picture of Prabhupada chanting. It's so cool. You know, Priyavada, you know I was thinking? That poster should be like up in every temple. Like we should send that... We want to scale that so you could blow it up and print it, if you could do that, if you know how to do that, you know, higher resolution. Of course, the photo may not be high resolution enough, but if you can get that photo, like from Bhaktivedanta Archives, we might, just tell me, I'll pay for it, then you can blow that up. It's an amazing poster. You, like, we'll send it out as it is now, everybody can see it, but I was just thinking, that poster should, you know, you know, back, you know, going back to Godhead, available here today at your local Iskon temple. What's refined sense gratification? Is it just being in the sattva guna? I don't think I understand that. Yeah, sattvic sense gratification, but a better definition. I was saying, you know, it's still sense gratification, but it's more refined. You know the story? Devotee was listening to Ravi Shankar or something playing the sitar. I think I have a sitar, but I don't know where it is. We have ethnic. Let's see. Just to add some interest to our class here. It's a really bad sitar, but in my studio I have actually a really good sitar. Okay. some effects on it. So they were listening to sitar. Nice, right? Kind of soothing, right? Okay, now I'm going to do something else. That's refined sense gratification. Now I'm going to, we're going to do a little less refined sense gratification. Okay, if I can find it. This is just for your entertainment value, but it'll make the point. I can find it. I'm going to play your rock and roll. hope you don't mind. Maybe this shouldn't. Maybe this shouldn't be done in public class. But just for an experience. I teach, well, this is experiential, experiential learning. I have to find the guitars. And then... Okay, we're getting close. Getting real close.
And all of you are going, oh, that's cool. I like that. Yeah, that's a bit Thomasic, right? Okay. So, <laughs> you understand. One was very nice and one was like... What does that evoke? What does that evoke? We haven't even gone into rap or hip-hop. <clears throat> what does that evoke? You know, And what does the sitar evoke? A, a little different. But still, it's still sense gratification. So some of you know the story. The devotee was listening to the sitar, and, and he was, he was, I don't know where it was, on the airplane or whatever, and he says, Prabhupada, isn't that nice? And Prabhupada said, no, it's Maya. <laughs> Why is it Maya? Because it's not glorifying Krishna. So, the devotee said, but it's sitar, you know, it's Indian. Prabhupada said, yes, it's nice Maya. So, sitar is nicer Maya, is nicer Maya for refined people than... You know, you know, if you play music like that, you know what's going to happen to you someday? <laughs> you know what happens? Sometimes when you play music like that, it has a real strange effect on you. Um, and people who play sitar, you know, maybe a slightly different effect. So anyway, Prabhupada said it's nice maya. So let me answer your question. Anything that you can use in Krishna, you can dovetail Anything you like, but you can use it in Krishna's service, then you could call that. That's transcendental sense gratification. You, I need to satisfy my senses with something, but I need to be able to use it in Krishna's service. So, what do we do? What do we do every morning when we do kirtan? Because I don't. It's hard to have a. It's hard to have a keyboard. I mean, hard to have a harmonium, or I could just play cartels, but it'll like destroy the level. So we do something. So, somehow or other, Krishna gave me a little bit of musical skill, and I love singing and playing. So I do it for Krishna. So then now it's not sense gratification, or you can call it dovetailing sense gratification, dovetailing the tendency. Otherwise, I'm just going to, you know, play here and, you know... I'm going to be playing music for my for my own enjoyment. So I can, you know, have great fun just playing like this. Right? And I could I could play like that all day and just feel, you know, groovy. Right? And I have a studio with thousands of sounds. Like you just play the keyboard and it sounds like you've just covered the whole universe and just and I could just, you know, do that. But instead we do something like I was doing yesterday. 
Remember this? I was playing this for you. Without you, Lord, a moment feels like a million years or more, and tears are flowing from my eyes, just like torrents of rain, and I'm feeling all vacant in the world, and I'm feeling all vacant in the world, without you, Lord, without you, Lord. So what did that sound like? Sound like some ballad, right? Didn't it? Yeah, it just sounds like some popular song, right? I can actually make it even sound like you'll you'll know after I play this this part. It's a song by Adele that goes like that. I, I, I don't follow it so well. Anyway, so I Krishnaized it. So then I don't sit around just playing, you know, singing some stupid words. But I like to do this. Not, it, it's, not even like, it's not even like I like to do it. it. I just do it. I mean, if I turn this thing on, there's never, practically never a time that I turn this thing on and I don't write a song or something, some idea. The other day I played, I played this way. I just turn it on and I play it. So what am I going to do? You know, I could throw it away, but then I'll just buy another one later. Without you, Lord, a moment feels like a million years or more, and tears are flowing from my eyes. And I'm feeling all vacant in the world without you, Lord. And I'm feeling all vacant without you, Lord, Lord. It just happens. So, but this is this has hap actually helped me become more a little more absorbed in Shishastakam. So I use that ability. So, and so refined sense gratification is I just play something nice. Okay, it's refined. It's not going to make you feel like you got to go kill somebody, as other music might. <laughs> okay. We have a new program today. The program is Your Comments Will Be Saved for Tomorrow. Uh, uh, I'm looking at one last question. We have three minutes. So whatever you don't finish, we'll... I have a meeting at 10 o'clock, so I... I haven't eaten breakfast. I probably should eat breakfast. I had breakfast yesterday at 5 o'clock. I was so busy. My office was probably 100 degrees. It's like, 
I'm waiting for them to put a new AC and my other AC, it leaks water and is ruining my desk. So I just try to open the doors and windows. It must have been 100 degrees in here. It, 100 is like, I don't know, what is it, 35 or something. And I sat in here, I was so busy. I sat in here till 5.30 and hadn't eaten anything. Could you imagine? My wife thinks I'm crazy. I probably am. Okay, we're going to answer one last question. How can I be coherent with my desire, humbly serve Krishna through his pure devotees when my mind is still weak and interrupts making me think that it will advance and get frustrated? Well, it's a combination of what I'm saying and what Krishna Karshan is saying. You have to go at your own pace. But at the same time, you have to see that you're making progress. So you have to see that you're becoming detached. Right? Gradually. At least I'm making progress from last year and last year. That will overcome your frustration. But if you don't make progress, you will be frustrated. There is, there's like no solution. I can't give you a solution to not becoming frustrated if you don't make advancement. It's like telling the guy who just killed someone, okay, I'll help you feel good about yourself. I don't want you to feel good about yourself. You should feel rotten. Otherwise, you'll do it again. So we should be frustrated. frustrated. Frustration can help us. Okay? There's more to say. Um, save that question. Who's going to save the questions for tomorrow? Um, who is going to save the questions for tomorrow? Satyarupa, you're going to save them? Oh, the meeting with Odarya Dhamma. How can you get the link? I don't even have the link myself. I don't even know when it is. Nobody told me. Um, so there's lots of questions. So many. Okay, I'm gonna go take breakfast now. You have, we have enough questions to last the whole next class. Oh my God, this is crazy. This is like world's record on questions. So, um, I was looking for something popped up. Okay. Well, same thing. something popped up and I wanted to see it. Is it possible you can send these all to me? Or is it possible you can post them tomorrow? Do I have a recording of the Sishastakam? Not yet. But I have a recording with guitar. I actually do have a little recording. It, I can release it. I was fooling around and recorded it for you. Katie says she's going crazy without being a perfectionist. But going crazy is her constitutional position, so that's kind of normal for her. Don't worry about it, Katie, in this life. Crazy is normal for you. Uh, 
Yeah, okay. I like Ankush's questions. It makes me think. Okay, so I'm going to take breakfast now. And we'll see you tomorrow. Tonight at 7, we have our class on forgiveness and developing good qualities. And, uh, yeah. This is just one last thing. This example of me <coughs> playing the keyboard, right? It's a nice melody, right? So then what, what do I do with it? And I love Shishastakam, so I do. Like a million years or more And tears are flowing from my eyes Just like torrents of rain That's what I have to do, because it just comes out of me. I can't stop it. So what am I going to do, you know? It's like, ah! So we do it for Krishna. Maybe someday it'll stop. I, I put it on, I put that on hold for like 15, 20 years or something. I just like cut it out. I was writing so many songs, at least for 10. Then I'm back here, I have a keyboard, I have a studio. It's like, ah! It just comes out. The impetus, it's right in front of me. Okay, Nice to see you all. We'll see you tomorrow or tonight at 7 Eastern Standard Time. Hare Krishna.